all of a sudden, the world doesn't look the way it once did. What once seemed so stable now crumbles in chaos. What once could be trusted no longer has credibility. Yet in the midst of it all, there is hope. When who will reign on earth is uncertain, there is one who reigns from heaven with certainty. He reigns with righteousness. He reigns in power. He reigns with authority. One look at his throne changes everything. One look at his throne brings vertical clarity to a horizontal chaos. One look at his throne is what we need. A perspective shift, a confidence shift, a vision shift. in this place. Amen. I know he's here already. I can't wait to see what he's going to continue to do in our hearts. Man, are you loving this stage or what? And that's awesome. It's beautiful. I'm so thankful to the Knapp family and the Bostons for all their work, hard work this week to make this happen. We'll keep this up for the remainder of the year. It's beautiful. Kind of feels like home, right? It should. You know, it was a year ago um, on a Saturday night, I got a phone call that one of our members, Lewis Bowling, uh, was in the hospital. And when I got there, Baylor walks a hatchet, we found out he'd had a stroke. He'd been out to eat with his wife and had this episode. And the nurses and the doctors were very, very concerned, and the prognosis was not good. And so um, we gathered with Debbie, and when we were able to finally see Lewis, we went into that room, the, the critical care area, and we prayed for him. He was completely unconscious. They were going to care flight him in a matter of minutes to downtown Baylor, and they were very, very concerned. We prayed that night for God to raise him up, for God to do something miraculous, something beyond what the doctors could even imagine. So they took him to downtown. Uh, we met more family there and was amazed as I met children of theirs that I had not ever met. They had great faith. And they began to talk in terms of, we believe God's going to raise our daddy up again. And he'll be cooking breakfast and working with his models, railroading and airplanes that he loves to work with. And I have to say, just in the weakness of my own flesh, at that situation, I thought, Ooh, Lord, they have great faith. This situation looks very grim. And I'm, I'm considering all that's going on there, and I'm praying, but what I see with my earthly eyes tells me I don't know about this. Days pass, weeks pass, and the doctors and nurses are telling Debbie, now we don't see a future for him. You need to make a very important decision. And I remember being in the room with Debbie and talking with her and us praying and believing that through a few responses that we were getting from Lewis, that he was still there. He wasn't opening his eyes, but he would squeeze your hand a couple of times to a couple of questions. And so Debbie told the doctors, no, I don't want to end this. 
I want to continue on. More weeks pass, months pass, then came COVID, and she had to be separated from him. Very difficult time. Our elders before that happened got to go down and pray for him in the hospital, anoint him with oil. And we waited and we prayed and we've continued to pray. Debbie had to sell her house in Red Oak, move to Fort Worth to be near her children who could give help and support to her. Within the last couple of months, they were able to bring Lewis home. And a few of us got to go over recently to their house in Fort Worth, and Caleb was going to have a, a small night of worship there, and we did, and took a picture. This is Lewis now. <clears throat> it, was, uh, it was overwhelming to see him in the chair, and Caleb playing familiar worship songs, and Lewis singing with all this strength and energy. He couldn't carry on long conversations and mostly just took in what was happening, but when the worship started, he was singing, and God had truly answered the prayers of his family and this church and had been faithful. And I told Debbie, I said, you, you're, you are a testimony. I mean, God is the one who's done this, but you and your children had faith at the beginning. And God heard you and showed himself strong on your behalf. Debbie had what you get when you believe that confidently. You get hope. There were days that Debbie wondered what was going to happen next, but I never heard her doubt that God was going to hear their prayer and do a mighty work beyond what anybody could perceive. And we were sitting there watching it happen. Uh, I know Debbie and Lewis are watching right now from somewhere in far north of Fort Worth, about an hour or so from here. So, hi, y'all. We wish you were here. And Debbie said one day she'd love to bring Lewis here. So I'm believing that day will happen. We'll get to see Lewis here in this place. That'll be amazing. You know, in a time like this that we're going through in our nation, it's easy to look at the circumstances and say, Lord, have mercy. I don't see how any way in the world this is going to get any better. But I'm going to choose, in the midst of this, to have the same kind of hope and faith that Debbie had in her situation, that many women in the Scripture had in their situation, and that God is going to do a work in our day. Amen? Amen. I believe that. Amen. So this series, this mini-series we've been a part of here called Vision Shift, we bring to a close today uh, with a message called 2020 Hope. I believe God is doing something unique and special in our nation and in the church. And that's you and I. So it gives us all the more reason to be on the edge of our seat, on the edge of listening to God and say, God, I want to hear what you've got today. I want to be filled with hope because you are at work today. So I'd ask you to turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 6. The scripture is filled with the stories of people who faced impossible situations, situations where the odds were against them, situations where the small ended up getting victory over the big, where what seemed the impossible 
God did. Where what seemed the weakest, God used to defeat the strongest. This is the pattern for faith. This is the pattern in which God works. So you and I shouldn't be surprised when you come upon a situation and you feel weak and the opposition seems great and they seem overwhelming and you feel underwhelming. If that's where you are, then you are in the exact same position that every man and woman of God in Scripture and since then has faced an anticipation of God doing something great. You can't go into it thinking you're something. You come into it knowing God's everything. That's how you get victory. That's how you get hope. So in this day, we have the perfect setup for God to do his greatest work in those who will see him as greater than the opposition. And those who will see themselves as in complete dependence upon him. And to believe, watch this, and to believe not, that not only can he, but he will. Now that's the difference in hope. You and I today tend to use hope as, well, it might work out, I hope. No, in the Bible, hope was always cast in the light of confidence. I know he will. I have hope. Not I have a wish. No, I have a hope. I have a confident hope. So today, as we come to the end of Isaiah 6, we're going to, my prayer is that we come to a place of confident clarity and hope about our part and God's role in what's happening today. Amen? All right, Isaiah 6. Let me move us forward here because um, we're coming down to the end of the chapter. And what we've experienced so far is Isaiah living in a day and a time that has some great comparison to our day. It was a day in which the people of God had really gotten comfortable, had walked away from full dependence and surrender to God. And God had written some judgments in Isaiah 5. He told Isaiah, look, there's some woe, some judgment coming to the nation because the people twist truth. They call right wrong and wrong right. They're caught up in their own selfish pleasures. They're soaked in materialism. They are drowning their sorrows in alcohol. They are perverting the paths of justice. There are bribes under the table. Government establishment is wicked. And there is cruelty in the land. And God says, there is woe coming on you because of all of that. We can relate in this day. There's some woe upon us already. You don't have to ask the question, is judgment coming to America? It is on America today. We're experiencing it. The turmoil, the tragedy, the confusion, disease, chaos in the home, breakdown of the marriage, man getting what he wants himself away from God. That's all just the judgment of God. You read through scripture, when God judges a people, he takes his hand off and says, you want that path? Here you go. He turns them over to what they want. And we are experiencing that today. Isaiah was experiencing that in his day. He saw it and it happened all the way up into the government, into the ruling class. What we find in Isaiah is a story about the king 
who had reigned 52 years, who had been a man who sought God. But all of a sudden, arrogance entered his heart. He thought he was greater than God. He thought he was greater than God's ways. He thought his truth was better than his truth. And so he walked right into the temple, offered sacrifices, which was a violation of the law that was meant only for priests. And when he did that, God struck him with leprosy. And it wouldn't be long before he would die. Isaiah 6 is the story of Isaiah crying out to God. And when he does, it says that he sees the Lord seated on a throne. And he sees angels, mighty warrior angels surrounding the throne. And they cry out the one quality that seems to surpass all qualities of this one who reigns on the throne. And they say, holy, holy, holy. And there Isaiah is undone. And he confesses his sin. He says, I'm, an, I'm a man of unclean lips. He says, trash comes out of my mouth. Disregard for you, Lord, comes out of my mouth. And God, I'm undone. And he says, I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips as well. And he cries out to the Lord. The angel comes and atones for his sin. He brings a hot coal from the from the altar, and he touches Isaiah, and his sin is atoned for, and he is purged, and he's forgiven. And then Isaiah hears a conversation happening at the throne. He hears the Trinity of God in a conversation saying, who will go for us? Who shall I send, says Jesus from the throne? And Isaiah, in our verse last week, says this, here am I, send me. Isaiah makes the the grandest expression of worship possible. He didn't say, hey, you know what? I think I'll sing a song because it's Sunday. No, he said, look, here's my worship to you, God. Here I am. Take all of me. Whatever you want, all of me is yours. Now you direct my life. That is the biggest expression of worship. And so this happens We get into our passage because now God is going to answer Isaiah. God is going to give Isaiah the direction that he needs. God is about to unfold his will for Isaiah's life. It's kind of that moment that you and I all look for, like, God, show me your will for for my life. Just show me. And God's about to do that for Isaiah. Here it is, verse 9. It says, and he said, this is Jesus speaking to him. He says, go. And tell this people, Isaiah, I've got a message for you. I want you to go. I'm sending you to them. Look at the message. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Now, in New King James language, that seems awkward for us today. It's like, what does that even mean? Here is what it means. God said to Isaiah, I want you to go to this people who are facing judgment right now, who are living in rebellion and resistance and they want to do their own thing. Isaiah, I want you to go to them and say this. As long as you people keep doing what you want to do and not seeking the Lord, you're going to still be under judgment and your life is not going to be blessed. I tried to get that assignment. 
Your assignment is to go to the world and tell them they are under judgment and that they can keep hearing and they can keep seeing and they can keep seeking after all they seek after in this life. They can keep trying to acquire property, which they were doing. You can keep trying to live on in your drunkenness. You can keep trying to live on in your arrogance. You can keep trying to live on in your twisting of truth. But as long as you do, you will never understand the ways of God. Now, that's a long way from Jesus loves you. It's true. But you can't comprehend the depths of Jesus loves you until you understand the fact that your sin has separated you from him. I'm afraid that's what happened in our day. We've faithfully proclaimed the message Jesus loves you, but we have forgotten to tell people that your sin keeps you away from God. And until you repent, you're not going to go anywhere. Keep on seeing. Keep on doing. You're not going anywhere. You're not going to understand a thing. You're not going to experience God. You're not going to experience his blessing in your life until you repent. Whew, Isaiah gets a rough message. He gets a rough assignment. This is his calling upon his life. Isaiah, I want you to go do something countercultural. Isaiah, this isn't going to go real well for you. I can just tell you up front. This isn't a brilliant marketing scheme. This is not a money-making venture. Isaiah, this isn't going to gain you a lot of likes on social media. But I'm calling you to be bold. I'm calling you to be my voice. I'm calling you to go. What a powerful assignment. But God wasn't finished. He said in verse 10, Isaiah, I want you to make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Wow, what a church growth strategy. (laughs) Just keep going out there. Keep preaching the truth. Keep offending them. Keep pointing to the holiness of God. And do it to the point that they hear you and they're like, oh boy, here he comes again. Do it to the point that they say, oh God, I really just don't like hearing that guy. Do it to the point that they want to stop their ears. Do it to the point that they want to shut their eyes. Keep on going, Isaiah. I don't want you to stop. I want you to keep moving. I want you to keep preaching. I don't care how many people come. I don't care how many people not come. You deliver this message. Mm, Now that... That's a part about obedience that's tough for you and I in this generation. We're a generation that likes to do in hopes of what we're going to get. I mean, that's what you do, you know. You go to work so you can get some money. You work out in the yard and do your thing so it'll look nice. You, You do those kind of things. But here, God says, I want you to do, and there's not going to be any initial results You're going to have to completely trust me in this situation. This is a matter of faith. It's a good thing that Isaiah had said, here am I, send me. He didn't say, here am I, I might give this a go and just see how it works for a week. I don't know, maybe we'll see. No, if he would have done that, plan fail. Isaiah had said, I'm here, send me. And God says, good, because I have an assignment for you that's going to be challenging, difficult, I want you to keep going. I want you to keep speaking. I want you to keep telling the truth. The people are not going to be interested in hearing. They're they're going to shut their eyes and ears. But I want you to notice a flow in this verse. 
It says, first, make the heart of this people dull, heart, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that you were trying to convince of something? Maybe a spiritual truth, maybe a political conversation, maybe a financial conversation, maybe just some simple conversation. And they have completely tuned you out, shut you down. And when you use what to you seems like the most sound logic, they still just like, huh? They don't get it. And they argue back with you. And you're like, what is wrong with you? Do you not understand what I'm talking about? And they just look at you, just clueless. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have I ever had that situation happen to you? Yeah, if you've ever tried to make a political statement on Facebook, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This verse gives us some real insight to it because it says the very first thing that happens in people is their heart closes. And when their heart closes, you can forget trying to persuade, influence, coerce, whatever it might be. Because when someone's heart is fixed, their heart is fixed. They won't hear logic. They won't respond to conversation that presents facts because their heart is fixed. That's why the New Testament says that when you come upon someone who is divisive, when you come upon someone who is bent on trying to create havoc and division, that you're to confront them once. If they don't hear, confront them again. Confront them even a third time if you must. But Titus chapter 3 says, after a first and second admonition, if they continue to be divisive, you are to separate yourself from them and you walk away. You, you just walk away because their heart is fixed. Your carefully crafted conversation argument that you spent all week on, that you think if I post this, this will get them. This will help them. If you think you can text them, call them, and it was going to help them, I'm telling you, when a person's heart is fixed, the discipline of God is to walk away and let them be. Let God do his work in them. Get your hands off of it. It's up to him to work at that point. Amen? So that's what's happening in, in Isaiah's day. God's saying, Isaiah, these people's heart, they are dull. They are fixed. I want you to deliver your message. I don't care what the response is. You keep preaching truth. They've let poison in, so keep preaching. Keep moving. Keep speaking on my behalf. When one doesn't hear, move on. Keep preaching. Move on so that you can find one who will. And here's what Isaiah is told next. Lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. They don't come back until their heart is changed. But keep going until then. Keep speaking. Don't give in to them. Don't be distracted by them. Don't give in to their accusations and their threats. You speak truth. You do what's right. And if God perhaps moves in their heart, in their heart, then they may return. That's really the only 
hope. It's only hope for a person. It's only hope for a marriage. It's only hope for a nation. People that are caught with heart issues, they don't need to be consoled. They don't need to be accepted. They don't need to be understood. They need to face the discipline of God in their heart. That's hard for us to hear today. But I'm afraid that's why we've gotten where we've gotten today. We've neglected that truth. So Isaiah is told to speak truth. Isaiah is told to keep going. Isaiah is told to preach, speak, and follow the prompting of God, regardless of the response. And Isaiah says next what you and I say next. How long, Lord? I mean, how long am I going to do this? Don't I get to see a little change, some result? I'm supposed to keep going? How long, Lord? How long does this go on? How long do I keep speaking the truth, living faithfully, doing what's right, regardless of the response, regardless of the accusation, regardless of the pushback? How long, Lord? God's faithful. He answers. He answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate. Wow, it's just a chapter full of great news, right? <laughs> Isaiah, I want you to keep preaching and speaking until the judgment has fully had its effect on the land. Until the wicked have paid the price, until those who are in opposition have been removed, until finally the place is made desolate. Until then, Isaiah, I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to give in. I don't want you to pull back. I don't want you to run. I don't want you to hide. I want you to be faithful. I want you to speak this message. He goes on in verse 12 and says, The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. In other words, judgment has already started. Judgment is already happening. And on top of that, there's going to be more. Isaiah, I want you to be faithful until the land is drained of its wickedness. I want you to keep preaching until it's been emptied. I don't want you to give up on my assignment and my mission for you until it is complete. Verse 13, a little bit of hope begins to appear. God says, but yet a tenth will be in it. And will return and be for consuming. It's just a little bit of hope. It's really not much yet. Because God is saying, Isaiah, the land is going to face such judgment that 90% will be removed and destroyed. And even the tenth that remains, they will return and they will face even further persecution. They're going to face further judgment. So if you're Isaiah, you're like, no, what did I say back here? Here I am, send me. I did say that, 
He is the yeah, he is sitting on a throne. He is sovereign. You just take this all in for just a moment. Isaiah, go and preach. Go speak a message of judgment. The results are not going to be what you think. You're not going to be popular, Isaiah. Most will not listen. Isaiah, this is a difficult, if not seemingly impossible, situation. And we can all relate. Amen? At a time in our nation where values that we once held true to are now being pushed aside. I believe were it not for a the sovereign hand of God and mercy, you and I would not be able to do this even today any longer. There are threats across our nation for churches to be shut down, to be closed up, and not just from their buildings on Sundays, but from their voice in the culture. And if something doesn't happen, that is what will happen next. The doors will be locked and our voices will be silenced. Isaiah was sensing all of that in his day. And when he hears this, he's even more concerned. Now, then God gives some hope. Here's what he says next in verse 13. He says, As a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. Interesting picture of judgment here. God is going to be so thorough in his judgment that it'll be like a tree that has been burned or cut down and only the stump remains. That's how thorough the cleansing, the judging, the draining will be. Now, it's interesting that God chose a very specific kind of tree. This is New King James, and it says the terebinth tree. This was a tree, or is the tree, that was often listed throughout the Old Testament. It was a large tree, 40 plus feet. So you just imagine, this is probably about 30 in here, larger than this. They were trees that were pistachio trees. How about that? They bore fruit, pistachios. And they also were the source for turpentine, the sap that was gathered. So they're a very fruitful tree. They were a large tree. They were often iconic trees. They didn't really grow in, in groves. They grew isolated. And sometimes entire areas would be known by that tree. The valley where David fought Goliath was the valley of the terebinth tree. The tree where Absalom is riding along and his hair gets caught in it and it hangs him, terebinth tree. The tree where Abram is hearing from God and he makes a camp, he sits under, terebinth tree. They are often used as places where a burial would happen or they would refer to them as the city where the terebinth tree was. So they are iconic they are strong and durable. Their wood was often used for building ships and houses. They were known for their fruitfulness, but they are also known for their longevity. Terebinth trees 
could live hundreds and hundreds of years. Some believe even a thousand or more. They were long-term, stable, fruitful, productive trees. And here God is saying, it really doesn't matter to me how strong you think you are, how fruitful you think you are, how long-lasting you think you are. I can bring judgment to you and it be the end of you and all that's left is a stump. God says, that's what I can do. And if you keep resisting, keep reacting, keep pushing back, then destruction will continue, judgment will come upon you until there's just a stump remaining. Now that's the frightening part of the story. But God always has a message of hope for those who will hear in the midst of judgment. So there's judgment coming upon the land. But he finishes this passage in verse 13 with an interesting verse. It says, So the holy seed shall be its stump. Interesting. He said, There's going to be judgment that will purge the land like a tree that has been burned and cut down until all that remains is just a stump. It's nothing at all like it was before. It's not 40 feet tall. It's not bearing pistachios or aiding in the production of turpentine. It's not providing shade. It's not providing strength for anyone who wants to build something. All that it had in its history has been removed. But what's left in that stump Oh, you better watch out. Because in this stump, he says, it's like the holy seed. Now see, all throughout Scripture, when God said, I'm going to do something great in the next generation, he would do it through the seed. He would bring about his promises through a holy seed, through the next generation. So God's telling Isaiah here, I know you know what I'm talking about. You know a stump. You know a terebinth tree. You know the oak trees. You know what happens when it's left as a stump because here's what I haven't told you about the stump of a terebinth tree. The stump of a terebinth tree can sprout new life again. And when it does, it begins to grow and it grows and it gets bigger over the time and it becomes bigger than it even was before. Don't discount the terebinth tree because all you see is a stump because God will raise it up again. Look, do not discount the church and the work of God because it seems to be under attack. Don't discount the hand of God at what's happening in our land today when it seems to be under attack because God works with stumps. Now, if you're feeling stumpy this morning, then you're in a good spot. If you're feeling like, well, I just don't feel very fruitful. I just don't feel very strong. I don't feel very productive. Well, look here. It's not about you. It's about the God who is in you, the God who has called you, the God who has purpose for you. Don't dismiss the stump because God works in the stump. And God will bring about his promises. God works through a holy seed. I want you to notice a couple of things today. The word he used to describe the group he would work with here, the next generation, the next group, he defines them by saying, holy. God was saying, the group that I'm going to 
raise up, the group I will work through will be a people who are holy. He didn't say wealthy. He didn't say popular. He didn't say cool. He didn't say any other descriptive word except holy. What God is looking for today in the church is a people who will be holy, who will say, God, I have become like the world. They're a people of unclean lips. I'm a person of unclean lips. I'm undone. The church must, in this day, walk away from all that junk out there. The church must come back to the Lord. The church must center itself on the holiness and the righteousness of God. Must cry out for it. Must live for it. Must lift it up and live it out. This is our call. Because when there's a holy seed, God will raise up a new generation. You know, that's always been the case throughout Scripture. God always worked through those who would separate themselves for his purposes, who would make their lives consistent with his ways and nothing else. It's been that way throughout Scripture. So some truths I want to remind us of today. One, never let the response of others determine your amount of obedience to God. Don't say, well, I said it once, that was enough. I tried serving God once. I tried obeying God once. I tried at my marriage once. I tried with my children once. Look, God calls us to obedience. He calls husbands to faithful obedience. He calls wives to faithful obedience. And you stay at it. You stay at it regardless of the initial response. Two, judgment coming is evidence that God has something else new coming. New life. New growth. New hope. So we don't lose hope at what's happening around us. That's what the enemy wants you to do. Get overwhelmed, get discouraged, and give up. Close your door and do nothing. God is raising up a new generation today. God is exposing corruption and sin. God is calling his church to something that it hasn't been before. And so number three, I would say never let the size of the fight weaken your faith. Don't ever look at the size of the opposition. Don't ever look at the number of the opposition. Don't ever look at your own strength and let any of those things make you give up. You take faith in Jesus on the throne and you walk forward as a confident soldier. You come out speaking truth. That's been true throughout Scripture and it is actually true in our own nation's history. So back in the 1700s when the people who were here on this land were fighting for independence from tyranny, when the people who had come to this land, 
that we call home now. We're seeking freedom from excessive taxation without representation. When they were seeking freedom and release from all that sought to control them and to deny them their ability to worship freely and to seek God humbly, when they were looking for a way to stand against that power, when they were looking for a way to say, we want to raise our children in a free land. We want to have ownership of our land. We want to have generations of faith and freedom to come. There's a little known fact that you won't find much of in history books today, but it is true nonetheless, that there was one group who many historians believe had the most profound impact on those early revolutionaries, on those who fought as they stood up against an enemy larger than them, more well-funded than them, and more organized than them. That group, this small group, here on American soil, had many believe the greatest impact. And they were hated by the British. The British, in fact, came up with a name for this group that seemed to have so much power and sway into the lives of the people. They called them the Black Robe Regiment. They gave them a name like a military group, although they were far from military. They called them the Black Robe Regiment because black robes is what they wore because these people were pastors in the churches. And the British didn't like the Black Robe Regiment because they stood up in their pulpits and they preached righteousness and they preached freedom and they preached resistance to tyranny and they preached a message that says it's right to stand up against tyranny. And they preached a message that called the people together and they did. And they gave their money and they gave their time and they put together all their work and they became organized. The Black Robe Regiment was not a band of soldiers. They were pastors, but they were powerful in their message. And it was in the churches that the greatest impact for the revolution began because these people were driven to say, we will raise our children in a free land. We will raise up future generations in a free land. We are going to overthrow tyranny. This stops here, is what they said. Historians would write about them. In 1864, B.F. Morris wrote this. The ministers of the revolution were bold and fearless in the cause of their country. No class of men contributed more to carry forward the revolution and to achieve our independence than did the ministers. By their prayer, patriotic sermons, and services, they rendered the highest assistance to the civil government, the army, and the country. Alice Baldwin, in 1918, wrote... The Constitutional Convention and the written Constitution were the children of the pulpit. 1898, a Methodist bishop by the name of Charles Galloway wrote about the Black Robe Regiment. Mighty men they were, 
of iron nerve and strong hand and unblanched cheek and heart of flame. God needed not reeds shaken by the wind, not men clothed in soft raiment, but heroes of hardihood and lofty courage. And such were the sons of the mighty who responded to the divine call. And lastly, Charles Finney wrote, we need more sons of thunder in the pulpit. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. My favorite story, however, is a pastor by the name of John Peter Muhlenberg. Muhlenberg pastored a Lutheran congregation. And on one Sunday in Virginia, he stood up and he preached from Ecclesiastes 3. And he said, and I quote, there's a time for all things. There's a time to preach and a time to pray, but those times have passed. There is a time to fight and that time has now come. The story goes that at that moment, Pastor Muhlenberg took his black robe and he took it off. And when he did, it revealed his general uniform underneath. And he picked up his weapon and he walked out the door and said, I'm going to fight for freedom. And the people stood up and the men went with them and they became a highly prized brigade that helped bring freedom in these United States that we now live. So as I look ahead at 2020 and 2021, I want to tell you some reasons why I am filled with hope. Number one, there is a remnant today that is being refined. We may be cut down to a stump, but oh, watch out what's left in the stump. There may be few of us, but what is holy among us, God will use in a holy way. Watch out. And that is happening in our day. It's sad to me when I hear stories of churches that are falling away to the message of the world today, that are falling prey to the message that says, Jesus just accepts you just like you are. Come in all your sin just as you are. Bring your sin in. He doesn't care about that. What? You telling me that his death on the cross says I don't care about that? You've got it all wrong. All that sin is what caused him to be judged on the cross. He cares deeply about that. That's why he came is to set us free from all of that. And so churches today that are falling prey to all of this junk of a deluded, progressive Christian message today, I say shame on you folks. Shame on all of you for deluding the gospel, for destroying the message of the church. For those that are falling prey to the social justice cry today that won't stand up against the sins of the day, that won't call out sin for what it is, that won't stand up, or those that say, well, the church really shouldn't have a place in all that government stuff. Show me that in Scripture. It's not there. For whatever verse you think you can show me, I've got about 50 to prove the opposite. I'd love to talk to you about it, of course. I'm telling you, this, what we are facing today is a result of a church 
that has segmented itself out of society and said, they can do their part. We're just concerned about the kingdom of God. I get what you mean, but the kingdom of God is about everything that's out there right now. Don't tell me you're, you're all about the kingdom of God when you're not about rescuing babies that are being killed. Don't, don't tell me you're all about the kingdom of God when, when you're fine with corruption that's happening in our land today. You can't be. God is raising up a remnant today. God is refining and defining and purifying his church. I'm excited for that. I can have hope in that because when there's a stump, God's about to do some work. I'm also filled with hope because the Lord is on his throne. When Isaiah looked up, he didn't see an absent throne, an empty throne. He didn't see a recliner with someone passed out in it. He saw Jesus on the throne, actively reigning, aware, holy, and looking for those that he would send, that he would empower, that he would call. That's what he was doing there. And so I'm filled with hope today because I know that's what's happening. I see it here. We've been baptizing for a lot of weeks here every week. We're doing the same again today. We'll be doing so again in December, much of December. More baptisms. People are coming to faith, choosing to follow Christ, saying it's time to make things right. It's time to follow his will. It's time to say, here am I, send me. That's happening. I'm seeing healing occur. I'm seeing relationships under attack. And I'm seeing them restored as well. God is at work. I'm also encouraged because I believe that God has a purpose for us. We didn't just land upon this place here at the corner of Ovilla Road and Main Street. This is no accident. This is no perchance. This is not just some random set of circumstances that got us here. This is the holy design of God. The heritage of this place, the heritage of Ovilla, that puts us right here at this time, in this day, with the Spirit of God filling us and the power of God in us and the Word of God driving us, we have been called to make a difference. And you might think, oh, but we're so small. We're just Ovilla. We're just vertical. There you go again. You, you forget it was David that took down Goliath and all the Philistines. There you go again, thinking about little, can't take down big. Wrong. God will do a lot through a stump that has holiness in it. Amen? So this is where we are today. This is where we get vision today. This is where we shift our focus and say, I'm no longer going to get my information and direction about what's next by what the mainstream media is telling me. I'm going to get my information and direction from the one who reigns from his throne actively today. And what he tells me is what I'm going to do. I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to live my faith. I'm going to call others to repentance and faith because that is the message and the calling of the church. Amen? It's time to see a people set free. It's time to see a valley of dry bones come to life. It's time to see some new things happening. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? God is looking for those today who, like Isaiah, will say, Lord, here am I, send me. 
God is looking for those who will be more consumed with holiness than anything else. God is looking for those today who will surrender their lives, confess their sin, and be willing to do whatever he says. May that be us today. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word that gives us hope in the darkness, direction in the confusion, and gives us purpose in the midst of so much chaos today, Father. I thank you for a calling upon the church. I thank you for your calling upon us. I pray that your spirit would fill us. I pray that we would see your promise, that we would be that holy seed that you will use to raise up a new generation, that you will use to purify your church, that you will use to train and equip disciples, that you would use to raise up an entirely new generation who would walk in your ways in every area of life, not just in the four walls of the church, but in the walls of home, in the walls of work, in the walls of Congress, in the walls of government, and in everywhere in our land that we might walk in your truth. So God, raise us up, shake us, fill us, do a new thing today, Father. We're surrendered to you. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. The Lord has been good here at Vertical in so many different ways, but uh, one of the ways is the new life that keeps coming into our family here. And I don't mean just by babies, but spiritual birth as well. So I want to introduce to you today, Cynthia Sadler. She's here today and she has come and said she wanted to follow Jesus Christ and walk in his ways. And so we talked a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Turn around here for just a moment. Yeah, it's kind of awkward standing in front of everybody. I realize that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's all right though. Cynthia has said she wants to follow Jesus Christ with her life, and she wants to make the ultimate step of making that public. You know, sometimes I think we take that for granted here. Yeah, <laughs> she did. Yeah, you did say public. So sometimes we take that for granted here uh, in our day and in our churches. But there are people for generations and generations past who are so committed to the truth that baptism was by immersion, that they were willing to give their life for that. So we carry on a truth today. We carry on a picture today of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. His death being lowered into the water, his resurrection raised up out of the water. And not just his, but Cynthia's as well. Her old life lowered back into the water and her raised to new life coming up out of the water. So, Cynthia, we're excited for you, excited for what you're doing and following him. And we stand with you as a church family today. Amen. Let's go on up to the stage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll take it slow. Yeah. There you go. All right. We'll make our way right back over here. Okay. And I'll give you, I'll give you a good hand on getting in there. Let me get over here. Oh. Yeah, you can do this. Get my shoes wet. You don't. You, you it's can. Cold outside. Oh, you'll be fine. Oh, wait, my phone. Wait, okay, I don't have it. No phone. No phone. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Let's get. Oh, perfect. Perfect. You're good right there. Now I want you to take a look at all these folks out here. They're here with you in this moment. Hang on. I'll take that out. <laughs> The Lord Jesus died for you, and the Lord Jesus loves you, and the Lord Jesus now calls you to walk in him. So, Cynthia, I'm excited for your decision today. And because of that, 
You are buried with him in baptism. You're raised to walk in the newness of life. <laughs>